Hello everyone. Do you like reading? Do you like walking? Do you like thinking about your life? Then we have got something for you. Our Common Ground Pilgrimages are going to be announcing our slate of fall and winter 2020 pilgrimages on March 2nd. So if you sign up for our newsletter at readingandwalkingwith.com, you will be the first to know when registration launches and only people on our newsletter will get 30 minutes early registration access and it's first come first serve. So signing up first might mean the difference between getting a spot or not. There's less than 20 spots on each pilgrimage and one of them might be involving me and a book that we all love. So you're talking about you leading a pilgrimage with he's just not that into you? A hundred percent, yeah. <laughs> oh my God, I'm there. So that's readingandwalkingwith.com. Sign up to the newsletter. Be the first to know about our pilgrimages this year. There was no point worrying yet, he told himself as he got into the back of the Dursley's car. As Hagrid had said, what would come would come, and he would have to meet it when it did. I'm the risen Lord Voldemort. And I'm the ghost of Peter Pettigrew's hand. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to this wrap-up episode of Goblet of Fire on Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. So, Casper, we are done with book four. Woohoo! Goblet of Fire. Great book. It is pretty good. Yeah. What are your overall impressions? What was different than what you anticipated? Mm. Well, when people ask me, what's your favorite book? My answer is always Goblet of Fire, as you know. And this is what I would usually say. It's the moment when Voldemort comes back. There's a real sense of of what's at stake for the rest of the the story. But in the buildup to those final few chapters where Voldemort is re-embodied and we come face to face with evil in such a stark and new way, it feels more like a continuation of the first three books than the last three. We're at this pivot point. I mean, literally in the middle of these three books on either side, here's the middle book, but it's kind of weighted towards the end for me in terms of what feels really memorable. And so, yeah, the the thing I'm taking away is how big a punch those final chapters pack. How about you? I guess what's striking to me is how political of a novel this is. Mm. It like starts and ends with terrorist attacks. One sort of performative at the Quidditch World Cup and then, you know, one like very violent, specifically targeted terrorist attack. So from the beginning of the book, because we've read it before, we know that we are following Harry from witnessing one act of violence into this truly atrocious violent situation and how harrowing that would be if we knew at the end of the book that this was going to be a student who survived a school shooting. We are both watching Harry get turned into a victim, into a wizard, and also into a radicalized soldier. And I think that this is the book that changes him, and the next several books are going to be about him figuring out how those three identities are going to live together. Mm. Yeah, I'm also thinking about like from playground to battlefield and the way in which through war or through attack, children's bodies become rather than beloved, caressed, sweet, innocent things to these kind of weaponized instruments of war and that it happens so quickly. Maybe that's what I always find so striking in these last few chapters is that everything changes. And 
that the institution tries to do it to him earlier, right? Mm -hmm. His name comes out of the Goblet of Fire, and he's now this champion. Who has to engage in all sorts of kind of mock battle situations with real stakes. But it's actually his own experience that truly turns him into a soldier. I guess this book has really made me think about how politics and warfare gets borne out on the bodies and lives of people. And I think that because I am a person of privilege, I don't think of those things as impacting my life and my body. The more privileged we are, the more we get to ignore the way that politics is controlling our lives. And this is a book that shows us the different ways that those things come together. Mm. I'm also just thinking about the title of the book, The Goblet of Fire, This image of the goblet, and it makes me think of the Eucharist when you drink the symbolic blood of Christ, the wine. And it reminded me of this line from the Bible where Jesus, just before his crucifixion, is saying to God, like, let this cup pass me by. And it's seen as the ultimate moment of surrender where he's like, I don't want to die. But if I have to, let me embrace it in the best way that I can. And I feel that that's what Harry is doing. You know, we've tracked that kind of sacrificial imagery with Harry before. But at every ask that is made of Harry, like he's somehow entering it. Like he's not running away from the challenge that is given to him. I just think, what would I have done if I was in a blowing porky situation where suddenly I encountered the Dark Lord, you know? I'm just astonished by his capacity. And we'll talk more about Harry in a minute. But just that imagery of the Goblet of Fire as being really something dangerous that Harry sees that he can't avoid. Is there something that you are thinking about, Vanessa? I was so excited to talk about Fleur. Mm. I was like a female champion, a female athlete. She's French. Yes. She loves bouillabaisse. And instead, we spend zero time with her. Or you and I at least spend zero time with her. I guess I'm surprised by how little space the, like, actual tasks and the actual Triwizard Championship took up in our space. I also was wondering, when you were talking about the title, I was like, it's interesting that this book is called Goblet of Fire and not the Triwizard Tournament. Yes. And I have a theory. Tell me. I think what might be most interesting about the Goblet of Fire is how easy it was to trick. Mm. There was all this big talk about, like, there's an age line, there's, like, ancient magic involved Dumbledore, but all sorts of protections. And all Moody had to do was put it under a fourth school. Yeah. All he had to do was write Harry Potter, Oxford. (laughs) And Harry was selected. Just how easily it can all crumble And then to some extent, how beautiful it is, how far we've come as a society and how well we mostly all get along, given how easily we can destroy it. And I think the fact that the Goblet of Fire was so easily corrupted speaks to me of how dangerous this world is, but also how beautiful it is that it isn't more corrupted. It's interesting because I was thinking about the, you know, these three schools that have come together that have such differences. And it's not a perfect relationship. And we see Cockroft obviously running away. We see Maxime having this very complicated relationship to her identity. But there are relationships that are formed here that are going to become really important, including Fleur. And so in some ways, we shouldn't think about this book as the kind of one time when we meet Fleur. I think we see a key shift for her, which is that 
She meets Bill just before the third task after this dramatic rescue of her sister Gabrielle by Harry and her total attitude and all change towards Harry and Ron. Yes! That is so interesting. That is the big changing moment for Fleur, is Harry doing that. Exactly. And that we move away from seeing her as just this beautiful kind of vixen-esque villa woman fatale. We see her make a recognition of a moral choice. We see the commitment she has to her family and that those things are going to become super important later in the books when she's made a commitment to Bill and therefore Bill's family at huge potential cost to her. I think we shouldn't see this as Fleur's high point. Really, this is just an introduction. Vanessa, will you reveal who is the winner of Book 4 30-second recaps? With 46.3% of the votes, Casper (laughs) Turkile. With 53.7% of the votes, the good and great Vanessa Zoltan. (laughs) Congratulations, Ms. Zoltan. (laughs) You deserve it. You deserve it. Do I? Is that three to one now? Yeah. You know, every dog has its day. It's best of seven. You're still in the fight. Still in there. All right, Vanessa, here we go. The whole of book four, Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire in 30 seconds. Off we go, three, two, one, go. I don't really remember, but I'm sure the Dursleys are terrible. And then Harry gets a go to the Quidditch World Cup. And there's like that big thing and Winky and Barty Crouch. And then they all go to school. And then, oh, my God, there's an announcement of the Triwizard Tournament. And there are three tasks. And he's communicating with Sirius, who's free now. And um, he asked her to the dance. And Hermione, it turns out, is really pretty. We knew that all along. And then um, they go through the last task. And Cedric and he touch a thing. And they go. And Voldemort rises again. And he comes back. And it's already clear that not everybody is going to believe him. And Hermione traps Rita Skeeter in a jar. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, my God. This is why I'm the winner. That's what I was going to say and make you look (laughs) good, but you just said it for yourself. Okay, are you ready? Fill in some holes. I am ready to fill in some lengths, yeah. Yeah, okay. On your mark, get set, go. Okay, hi, my name is Polyakov. I'm friend of Viktor Kram. We come on exchange here. Very exciting English. And uh, I want some wine. Karkarov says, no wine for you, Polyakov. So uh, very sad. Then I spill things on myself. That happens all the time. Then Viktor, he catch snitch at World Cup. Very exciting. Then he meet nice English girl who likes library. Uh, I like her also, but I never get the girl. Uh, and Viktor uh, has fabulous time. Uh, doesn't win, but gets attacked. Crucial. <laughs> Why don't we talk about Polyakov? <laughs> Justice for Polyakov. <laughs> the invisible margins of these stories, Vanessa, as well, the real power is. Well, I think that just about covers it. <laughs> Vanessa, it's time for the long view. This is the time when we think about our title character, Harry Potter, on his great adventure through these seven books. Because so often we'll talk about a bunch of stuff that is adjacent to Harry, but kind of lose sight of his arc of narrative. So let's think about what happens to Harry. He is prepared, you know, for an exciting year. He goes to a new experience at the Quidditch World Cup. And he's a little sad that there won't be any Quidditch that year at school. But he's excited to get behind Cedric as the school champion or whoever it's going to be. And through no fault of his own, is thrust into the limelight once again. How do we see Harry change? What are the stages that we see him go through? Casper, I love taking this long view of Harry because in season one, our thesis of Harry in book one is that book one is sort of his introduction to the wizarding world. Right. Doesn't that feel like an age ago? Not not in time, but just in who Harry was, just that first experience in Diagon Alley. 
the innocence that he has. It's a world away from where we are now. So much has happened since then. Book two, we really see him get comfortable in Hogwarts. Mm. It becomes his home is what we realize. And then in book three, it's the first time that Harry gets a sense of a family Mm. through Sirius and Lupin and understanding this history of with his parents. It's the first time that he can really envision himself going home somewhere from Hogwarts that's not the Dursleys. Mm. He's able to envision himself. So in book four, I'm wondering if we've gone from you know, Hogwarts to home at Hogwarts to a sense of family. I think that in book four is where he starts to see himself as a political figure, as a figure who is going to have a role in sort of his nation's history. That has been established for us since book one, chapter one. All over England, people are raising their cups to the boy who lived. And I think that this book is the first time that Harry is starting to understand what that meant. What do you think? I think I disagree with that, Vanessa. I think that's still too early. I think that's book five for me. Because what I really noticed about Harry in this book is if book three was about him finding belonging and that family connection, that book four is about him individuating in, in a very healthy way, in some sense. He's discovering his sexuality a little bit, right? Like he's excited to date Cho and it doesn't happen and despair of all of that. But I still feel like he doesn't have the political agency yet to really make his own moves. I feel like he's still, to some extent, a pawn in other people's games. So then what do you think the, like, if you had to say this is the year, Mm -hmm. right? What what is the story we want to tell about Harry's fourth year? Right. The thing that really stands out for me that kind of might be defining for Harry is that he has chosen something in this book. And there's many choices we can talk about, but the one that I'm really thinking about is in the second task, when he stays underwater, he's finished rescuing Ron, he sees Cho rescued, he sees Hermione rescued, and he's waiting and waiting until Gabrielle is going to be rescued, and she isn't, and then he takes her up with him to great personal cost. And we talked about that together in, in the podcast earlier in the season. And what I like about this is that it's the second task in the fourth book, right? It's the middle of the middle. And that right there is where we see Harry make this big choice point of do I stay and rescue people who I'm not responsible for or do I take what I should do and leave? And he chooses to stay. I love that. I absolutely love that. It's not like a shocking turn, right? right? We're not like, what? Harry, you would never. It's not like Draco did this, right? right? We see that he's someone who's willing to break the rules. We see he's willing to stand up for people who are weaker than him. Like, none of this is shocking. But I love thinking of that moment as a central moment in his life because it's a huge decision, Mm. right, to risk your life to save a little girl. And Harry is given the opportunity to make it in steps. Yeah. Which is true for all of us. We don't decide who we are in one moment or another. It's in these tiny moments. And he decides he's definitely the kind of person who's going to make sure that both of his best friends are okay. Then he just finds that, okay, like, I'm not comfortable drawing the line here. And I'm just going to keep drawing the line further and further along. And I just see that as such an invitation for myself that I can choose moments in which I'm heroic to say that is the person who I want to live up to. We can let those be the middle of the middle of who we are. Mm. 
in order to always try to live up to it, right? So now now that Harry has decided that he's the kind of person who saves little girls, even when it's not as clear or even when it's not as, like, step-by-step, in order to keep telling himself the story that he's the kind of guy who saves little girls, he's got to keep saving little girls. That's right. I mean, he's going to take back Cedric's body, you know. It reminds me of a very first conversation, season one, episode one, of the little town in France, Le Chambon sur Lignon, where it wasn't a decision one day to let in strangers when the Second World War came around. It was a practice that had been established as a culture that this is what we do. People like us do things like this. And I think that's maybe the defining question of our project in this podcast is it, it, who do we choose to be? Like, who do we want to become? And then how do we get there? Right. And what is the combination between stories we tell ourselves mm. and practices? Exactly. And, you know, I'm a little skeptical of stories we want to tell ourselves right now after talking to Matt. Matt wanted to tell himself for a long time the story that he was the kind of guy who saved little girls. Right. And then he was like, oh, no, I'm not, right? Like, I'm the kind of guy who prioritizes catching a flight. And obviously, as people who love Matt, we know that he is his own harshest critic. But now I'm scared Mm. of what telling myself that story stops me from seeing. Like, who does Harry not save? Who are the little girls that are invisible to him? I mean, this is why I think that the importance of keeping Hermione front and center and because of Hermione keeping the house elves front and center is so important because there we see just one glimpse of the magical world that Harry doesn't pay attention to. Dobby is essentialized as a tool for Harry all the time up until the very end and he only realizes his love for Dobby at Dobby's death and there is someone that he didn't even try to save. He wasn't even thinking about Dobby until Dobby appears in book seven out of nowhere. So, that's such an important question for us to remember as we as we lift up the things that Harry has chosen to do. But you know what? I don't want to castigate Harry too much for this because to be human is to choose something and not something else. Like I, I don't want us to have a bar of perfection for Harry or for ourselves in any of these choices because that is impossible. There are only so many days and so many resources and so much human energy for us to live our lives. It's not about castigation. It's about wanting to make sure that I'm always trying to do better, right? So it's, I like to think of myself as the kind of person who when someone asks something of me, I say yes. But then the question is, is like, who is asking me for things that I'm not hearing, right? Mm. Who is it that doesn't feel empowered to ask things of me? Mm. I want to constantly be problematizing Mm. whether or not I'm successful at that. I think we have to ask ourselves those questions. If Harry is the kind of person And he realizes and decides in this book that he's the kind of person who's going to risk his own life to save a stranger. We then have to ask him, but who isn't part of your understanding of who is your responsibility to save? Or what are the dangers of the fact that he has now defined himself as someone who saves people? We see it really work out well with Mr. Weasley in the next book. And to some extent, it kills Sirius. The Mm. fact that Harry sees himself as the kind of person who saves people— ends in serious dying. So I just think that it's great to tell ourselves these stories about who we are. And then Matt has really called me to be problematizing that also or to be reflecting on it. That's beautiful. Before we move on, is there something else central to this book that you would like to take the long view on? I mean, I feel like we have to talk about Voldemort because the book opens with him and in some way closes with him. This isn't the apex of his power. That's still to come. 
But it's certainly a defining moment in his kind of half-life, life, whatever it is that he has right now. It feels like he, in his second coming, is even more ruthless and even less afraid in some ways than he was before. He has died once and come back again. He knows that the magic that he has created or, or spliced or contaminated, like, it works. And he knows he's got more than one Horcrux out there, so he's feeling just fine, even if he does get killed again. So there's something about a fearlessness and a recklessness to Voldemort that is compelling to me that mirrors Harry in some way, but that over the the time of this book, we're seeing these dedicated servants, both Pettigrew, but more importantly, Barty Grouch Jr., their lives, the choices they're making are acts of worship to that fearless, evil, reckless revenge. I find that so compelling to think about the actions of this committed, mania-driven Barty Crouch Jr., that he is so full of the story that Voldemort will favor him and that that means so much because what Voldemort represents at this point is an all-powerful, all-eternal god, nearly. Yeah, and I think that this actually gets back to Matt's point, which is the necessity to always problematize, because what the difference between Harry and Voldemort or Harry and Barty Crouch Jr. is doubt, right? Mm. Harry still has constant doubts, whereas Barty Crouch Jr. and Voldemort never have any. Mm. And so the lack of self-reflection, and if you have doubt, you invite feedback, you talk to your friends, you self-criticize in a way that gets you feedback. And Voldemort and Barty Crouch Jr. are both so far beyond that that true evil can manifest through them. Vanessa, we are going to do our final spiritual practice with Florilegia, and we've both chosen a sentence that we think in some way captures what happens in the book, a sort of little spark that shines a light on on one aspect on it. So I'm going to ask you to read yours, and then I'll read mine out loud, and we'll put them in conversation with each other. It's the most important sentence in the book. Okay. Next time there's a ball, ask me before someone else does, and not as a last resort. When he awoke on Monday morning, he seriously considered for the first time ever just running away from Hogwarts. Wow, they're both really juicy. Why did you choose yours? So for me, these books are always going to be about Hermione. And I think that this just like gets to the heart of exactly what we were talking about. Hermione is so sure that she's right. And Ron is so sure that he's right. Mm. And they're having this like defining conversation. This is the first time to some extent that they are admitting how much they love each other. And I just think that Hermione is practicing everything we love about her in this moment. She's practicing being brave. She is saying the thing that Ron won't say. She's being bossy, which we like about her. She's being, like, action and solutions oriented. <laughs> She's like, this is how you can do better next time. <laughs> right? And This is your performance review. And <laughs> yes. these are your areas for growth, Ronald. Yes. And I just think that people who are, like, brave in love are brave in life. And it's a moment of, like, real heroism. And it's an invisible moment of heroism to some extent because Ron completely rejects it. He's just like, no, that wasn't the point. (laughs) 
it also is just something that makes me wonder, Hermione, has she been clear about this for a long time? Does she learn in this moment that that's how she felt? I'm so curious about this moment. Yeah, sometimes you say something that you don't actually consciously know, and only by saying it do you know it. There's a great Hemingway quote about that. I never think, and yet when I speak, I say the things I have figured out in my mind without thinking. But Hermione is a thinker. So, like, I wonder if she's thought her way to this or Mm. if in, like, saying it, she's like, oh, crap, I am Mm. mad at you. Mm. What about you? Remind us your sentence. When he awoke on Monday morning, he seriously considered for the first time ever just running away from Hogwarts. Remind me when that happens and then why you picked it. This is just before the first task. So he's really nervous and overwhelmed with anxiety. And it just really struck me as we were talking about the long view of Harry that this is a sign of maturation for sure. And it's a sign of responsibility unwanted, which maybe defines what adulthood is, (laughs) unwanted responsibility. And I love that it's a Monday morning. I'm just thinking about how the work week for so many of us is not always something that we look forward to, or at least it comes with unwanted responsibilities. And of course, the fact that Hogwarts, which is his home, that this is the first time that he is thinking about separating himself from it in a way that he actively is going to do in book seven. And so I love that we see that seed planted here already. And again, just, I mean, even physically, the book is in my lap. I'm holding both the beginning and the end of the book in my hands. And I'm holding the first half of the book in one hand and the other half of the book in the other hand. And it feels like even the weight of where this page is, is in the middle of the middle. And that we see here him both being fully at home in this place and contemplating leaving it, which that's just what it is to really be somewhere, you know? And I'm thinking about us, Vanessa, like here we are, Ariana, yourself and myself in the chairs in the studio. And we too are in the middle of the middle. Like here we are, you know, more than 100 episodes into this project. We've still got many, many pages to go, but we're in the middle of the middle. And so we can see both the beginning and the end as equidistant. And that comes with a joy and a sadness in, in equal part. It's time for us to offer our final blessing in the Goblet of Fire, Vanessa. Who do you want to offer a blessing to as we bring this season to a close? I want to bless Madame Maxime. She did not have the year that she thought she was going to have. Mm. I'm guessing her hopes for this year were that she would come be this like amazing headmistress and compete on the world stage as an equal with Dumbledore and go home more respected and having something new sort of like on her resume that she has done. And instead, she's had like this existential question thrown at her as to whether or not she's comfortable being out as a giant. She has had one of her students put into real danger from a mass murderer. And she's come out of it not only no worse for wear, but better. This doesn't embitter her, but instead at the end, she and Hagrid have found each other again and are building some sort of friendship or romantic relationship. We know that later in the books, she's going to go off on assignment with Hagrid. So she lets this year that she could just be like, none of this is what I signed up for. Sort of, I want my money back. And instead, she allows it to change her in this really positive way. Mm. And so I would like to offer a blessing for anybody who takes life's hardships and tries to turn them into something positive. My instinct is the opposite. I don't believe in beneficial suffering. I believe in calling suffering suffering and letting it die on that altar. 
But I think that with Madame Maxime, we see somebody who turns something really hard into something positive. And I want to offer a blessing to everyone who does that. What about you, Casper? Who would you like to bless? I want to bless Mrs. and Mr. Diggory. We've talked about how this book opens with a murder and Bertha's murder. And Cedric certainly is not Voldemort's first victim, but he's the first child that we see die. And, you know, that line that's haunted us throughout these conversations, kill despair, like there's no purpose to Cedric's death. It's so meaningless. It's so overwhelmingly sad. And we we have this image. We don't even know Mrs. Diggory's name. We just see this woman and Amos like hunched over this body of this child, lifeless on the ground in the chaos, in the dark. I just think of the horrific reality of, of losing a child in this way. So my blessing is for anyone who has to deal, or not even has to deal, but just has to live after that is true. Um, for anyone who's who's suffered a loss of a child, perhaps especially, but all of us who have to, who have to live in a society where this happens. So that brings us to the end of talking about Goblet of Fire. But next week, we'll be back with our final Outpost episode of season four. And Vanessa will be sitting down with the one and only Reverend Dr. Stephanie Purcell. Love of my life. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Send us a voicemail at harrypottersacredtext at gmail.com or leave us a review on iTunes. If you've enjoyed this season, come tell everyone else about it. We'll be so grateful. Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is produced by the very talented Ariana Nettleman, the very intelligent Vanessa Sultan, and the very handsome Casper Terkyle. Our music is by Ivan Paisau and Nick Boll, and you can find us on the Panoply Network at panoply.fm. This week, we'd like to thank Rebecca and Charlie Ludley, Julia Argy, and Stephanie Paulsell, and we will talk to you next week. Bye, everyone. Bye. Wrapping up Goblet of Fire. Mm. That's my Goblet of Fire wrap-up song. How'd you like it?